So today we are in the final, final three weeks of our series on the life of Abraham, which we have titled The Difficult Journey of Faith. Uh, because Abraham had a very difficult journey of learning of what it meant to live by faith and also gave us a lot of examples of what it meant not to live by faith. Uh, Now, as we get into Genesis chapter 23 today, uh, we will be concluding uh, the five months that we have spent looking and following the marriage of Abraham and Sarah. Today, we are going to see their marriage end in the way that I believe God intends all marriages to end, and that is in death. And just to be clear, I mean natural death, not murder. <laughs> I said that to my buddy of mine this week, and he said, does murder count? I'm like, no, no, natural death, dude. Um, Sarah has lived a long and full life and a very important life. Um, if Abraham was considered the father of faith, she could be considered the mother of faith. She had her faults, as we all do. She had many. But God still called her a princess in Genesis 17. She is listed as one of the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11. The apostle Peter named her as a good example of Christian wives to follow. And and Paul used her as an illustration of the God's grace in the life of those who follow God. And today, as we see her life come to an end, we're going to see what we can learn about this process as we see Abraham say goodbye. Genesis chapter 23, starting in verse 1. Sarah lived 127 years. They lived a little longer back then. And these were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abram went to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead, and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, if you are willing, I should bury my dead out of my sight. Hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. And we're going to stop there for today. There's about nine other verses in this chapter, but I'm going to sum it up. Just Abraham and Ephron negotiating a price for Abraham to buy a burial site for his wife. And actually, it ended up being a burial site for much of his family. Uh, Sarah was buried there. Um, Abraham's going to be buried there. Uh, Isaac, his son, will be buried there. Rebecca, his son's wife, will be buried there. Isaac's son, Abraham's grandchild, will be buried there. And then Jacob's wife, Leah, will be buried there, all by the end of the Genesis. And in fact, we actually have a picture of where it is now. You can kind of go visit the place, though you can't not go into the caves uh, because they built a big building over it. This is located here um, in uh, Israel uh, where these bodies can be found if you were allowed to go inside it. Um, This is just a great reminder that what we read in the Bible is not a bunch of stories and fables. These were real people in real places and real events to show us God's glory in their lives. Now, 
in these first 10 verses, there is a truth that is revealed to all of us that we are probably all well aware of. Genesis 23, verse 2. The most important words here to start with, and Sarah died. The truth that we're all aware of is that the people that we love are going to die. Losing loved ones, it's a fact of life. And it's safe to say that all of us in here have learned this painful truth in our lives. And I emphasize the word painful because when we lose somebody, it's very painful. Why? Because it creates a hole in your life. One person described the loss of a loved one as like having a tree that has been growing in one's heart, yanked out by its roots, leaving an empty hole. I think this is a very fitting way to put it, as I think even this week as I was working on this message, I was thinking about the people that we've lost in this church since I've been here for these six and a half years. And I think about it. Every time I think about them, it does. It feels like a hole. And when this hole is created in our lives, we all experience the emotion of grief. Grief is this deep sorrow that we feel over the loss of someone or, or something in our lives. And, and grief, it affects every area of our life. I was reading, and it changes everything. I was reading about one man, he was uh, driving in Florida and he drove right into a sinkhole. He said, I'm just driving in a sunny, beautiful day and the next moment I'm in a dark cavern. This is what grief can feel like when we lose a loved one. Norman Wright, in his pocket book uh, entitled Experiencing Grief, he says this. He said, grief, it does not leave one particle of your life unchanged. It is all-consuming. Food does not taste the same. The, the fragrances that you love are not as intense. The frequency of tears will cloud your vision. Some will experience a tightness in their throat or in their chest or an empty feeling in their stomachs. Rapid heartbeats. Shortness of breath. Eating and sleeping patterns are no longer the same. Some will sleep and sleep and sleep, and others, they wish, wish they could sleep. Grief can bring a sense of apathy and numbness. C.S. Lewis describes this as the laziness of grief, where everything feels like just what is the use? That your arms and feet feel heavy, like it takes all your effort to lift them. Or you might experience what's called the fog of grief, where you're just constantly in a fog. I remember reading about one man in an article, and he was talking about how uh, after his wife died, he went to buy groceries, got to his car with his groceries, then he forgot to put them in his car, and he pulled it and drove away because he was in such a fog. And grief can bring in all these intense emotions, like anger, where we get angry at the world, angry at the person for leaving us, angry at ourselves, angry at God. And grief's not like, it's not like consistent, it's unpredictable. Sometimes you will feel fine and then you'll have what Norman Wright calls grief spasm or something or someone will remind you of the one you've lost and you will go into uncontrollable weeping. You're like the psalmist who says, I'm, I'm weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. 
And all of these emotions that I'm talking about, sometimes you're experiencing all of them, and they're swirling around in your life, and you, you literally feel like you're losing your mind. And I think this is probably one of the main reasons we avoid grief, or we want to avoid grief, to pretend it's not there, because not only is it painful, but it reminds us that we're absolutely not in control of anything. And we love the thought of being in control. But with all of this said and all of these negative things that I've just listed, the truth is that, that grief is very good. When you think about it, it is a natural, God-given response to losing people in our lives. Let me say it again. A natural, God-given response. It's normal. In fact, I think it's unnatural It's not normal. In fact, I'd say it's unspiritual not to grieve because it is defying the way the creator has built us. Grieving is literally a gift of God to help heal broken hearts when the people we love are taken from us. The problem is, Most of us, I think, in my opinion, have never been taught about the process of grief. We were raised by people who hid their grief, who did not talk about their grief, who did not model proper healthy grieving for us. And so it's no wonder that we struggle when it comes to us. We have no idea what to do with it. So today, I want to talk about grief. In fact, I think in my 20 years of preaching, this is the full time, first time I've ever devoted an entire message to grief. And, and I, and I want to preach on this because you are going to grieve. You are going to grieve. Whether you see it coming or you don't. I, I, there was the earthquake in Morocco yesterday. Like 2,000 people, I think, they've found that are dead so far. I read one study a long time ago. I don't know how accurate it is, but it seems to make sense that every time someone dies, nine people are majorly effective. If that's the case, then there's 18,000 people that are now grieving today. Even if you do not grieve for your own loss coming up anytime soon, you're going to come across somebody who's grieving. And if you sit here today with your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're called to minister to them in those times to bear their burdens with them. And so I want you to be equipped in those moments that you may shine the light of Christ into the darkness of their grief. And then another prayer I've been praying is some of you, and we'll talk about this in a minute, you are still suffering in your life from grieving that you never did in a previous loss, maybe weeks or months or years ago, and it's still dragging on you. And I'm praying today through this message you will find freedom. So my prayer for you is to say, God, whatever I need to learn about grief for your kingdom, help me to see it and help me to hear it for your glory. Amen, church? Now, the first thing I want to say to you about grief is is don't deny grief. Don't deny the pain. Admit it. Admit that you're grieving. Give yourself permission to grieve. Ecclesiastes says there's a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. I mean, look at what Abraham does in Genesis 23, verse 2. 
It says he, he went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. To weep, not just to cry. Cry is a different word in Hebrew. It is to weep for her. A full just shedding of his emotions. A pouring out of his heart and his pain and his grief. See, mourning is the process of where our grief is expressed. A natural process. And there, like I said, there are consequences when we try to resist God's natural order of things. And in the area of mourning and grieving, it is no different. Those who say, I'm, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm okay. Those who try to stuff it down, those who try to escape it, the ones who end up with physical problems in their lives, the ones that could be tempted to substance abuse, depression, and anxiety, numbness of the heart. Anytime we try to squash feelings in our lives, it, it brings a numbness to our heart, a lack of emotional maturity, and missed opportunities to find peace and perspective, God's perspective. And this is just to name a few, and it doesn't even go into the list of how when we ignore our grief and we deal with it in an ungodly way, the impact that it has on those that we love, right there and sometimes down the road. It's like trying to cover up a wound before it's been cleaned out and healed. It's just going to end up infecting everything. And I'll say it again. I'm praying today that if some of you, you have grief in your life that you never properly allowed yourselves to grieve, that God would reveal it to you. That you may go through that natural process, even if it's years afterwards. It's impossible to hold your pain in. It's like trying to like put a dam in the middle of the ocean. Fruitless effort. The water will go around. You, you, it's, your pain will seep out. It'll seep out in anger. It'll seep out in bitterness. It'll seep out in coldness. And, I, and, and it's just, it boggles my mind how natural grieving is and, and how we, we fight it. Many years ago, someone commented, he said, um, when a person is born, we celebrate. And when they get married, we jubilate. But when they die, we act as if nothing happened. We must change this. I think the best way to deal with it is, a, is an illustration I heard once of a hiker who went hiking and he read the forest instruction, service instructions before he got on the trail, which I never do, but now I feel like I'm going to from now on. And it says, what to do when you encountered wild animals and mountain lions. And so as he was going through this trail and he was jogging, he came across a mountain lion. And the mountain lion began to stalk him. And then, fortunately, the man remembered what he read. And instead of running away, he turned and he faced the mountain lion. He got big and he screamed. And the mountain lion wasn't expecting this. And so what the mountain lion do? Turned around and walked away. I think your emotions, my emotions are like that mountain lion. We must face them head on. We must stop hiding from them or running from them. And if you do that, you will rise above them and be better for it, which will bring God glory. So how do you face grief head on? 
Well, first, you've got to lean into God because none of us are strong enough to deal with our grief on our own in a healthy way. And we should lean into God because he is close to the brokenhearted. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. And I know sometimes in our grief, it feels like God is quiet. It feels like he is silent. Craig Barnes once said that God is often silent when we prefer that he would speak. And then he speaks when we would prefer he stayed silent. Can anybody get an amen? His ways are not our ways. But please, 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 don't make the mistake in your grief of of taking the feeling of being abandoned by God and thinking that actually means that you're abandoned by God. Because he is there. Once again, Psalm 34, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. God is aware of your circumstances. He's aware. He's aware of your pain, your struggles. He seeks to fill the emptiness of your heart. God is aware of your wounds and your scars. And he knows how to bring deeper healing than you can imagine. Even when your situation seems out of control, even when it's the middle of the night, you can't sleep, you can take solace in knowing that God, he works the night shift. He is near. Psalm 94, 19, the psalmist writes that when the cares of my heart are many, your consolations, your promises cheer my soul. God always speaks through his word. We spend, I say this phrase so many times, you're probably tired of hearing it. We spend too much time in our lives listening to ourselves. We do not spend enough time talking to ourselves, taking the promises of God and speaking them into our lives, reminding us of them. Lean into God. Second, this is a big one. Ask for help. Ask for help. I'm going to repeat it a third time because I know you all. Ask for help. Y'all want everybody else to come to you for help, but you don't want to go to anybody for help. I know it. I get it. I'm there too. We are not meant, you are not meant, I am not meant to suffer alone. That's not how God did it. This is why Paul says in Galatians, bear one another burdens. That means to literally carry somebody else's burdens. People cannot carry your burdens. They cannot follow the law of Christ if you're not willing to hand them over. Withdrawing from friends and family, it only intensifies the feelings of loneliness and isolation, which makes the process of grief so much harder. Ask for help. Because A, you need it. And two, it's beautiful because when you ask for your help, you know what you do? You teach somebody else that it's okay to ask for help. Are you with me, church? But when you ask for help, be real about it. Be real about the pain and the hurt. Do not hide it. Do not be ashamed of it. I mean, why do we, I feel like, anyway, we always say when we, we, break, when we like get tearied and the tears are flowing and we're pouring everything out and, you know, we're a mess and the snot's coming out, why do we always say Sorry. You ever notice that? You'll do that. You ever, you ever just 
fall apart in front of somebody or feel like it, you'd be like, I'm sorry. I do it too. But when you think about it practically, why should we apologize for something that is a gift from God? I mean, perhaps you're one who's never learned to cry. Never, you never had someone to show you that it's okay to cry. And, and, and so you're afraid to let go of those tears. Fears and, and, and reservations, they block that expression. But, then, but if for some reason it actually happens, well, what do we usually refer to it? We usually refer to it as breaking down. I broke down. I broke down. Cars break down. Refrigerators break down. When you cry, you're not breaking down. You're allowing your grief to come out. We don't break down. We cry. We weep. We shed tears. And it is a fitting, natural, God-given response to pain for women and for men. Max Lucado, I love the way he describes tears. He goes, tears, those tiny drops of humanity, those round, wet balls of fluid that tumble from our eyes. They creep down our cheeks and they splash on the floor of our hearts. They're miniature messengers on call 24 hours a day to substitute our crippled words. They drip, drop, and pour from the corner of our souls, carrying with them the deepest emotions that we possess. He says, when words are most empty, our tears are most apt. Listen, do not ever allow anyone to condemn you or make you feel bad for crying. Crying is not a statement of your worth. It is just a show of your emotions. And let me tell you, when people get uncomfortable with tears, and what I usually find, I'm, I'm stereotyping, just check if it's you, usually it's men uncomfortable with women crying. Or it's men uncomfortable with anybody crying. But when, when someone's upset with you crying, or they're like, stop crying, it's not a message about you. It's a message about them and their inability and their immaturity when it comes to coping with and handling tears. They don't know what to do. But don't be angry with them. Pray for them. Pray that they experience the beauty and the power of tears. It is such a powerful mechanism in our body. It is a gift of God to help us work through things. You still with me, church? I also encourage you to stay active when you go through grief. You ever you just don't want to do anything. I remember when Marie and I, I mentioned this last week, when we went through our three miscarriages, you're just like, you just like feel numb and you don't want to do anything. And so you want to withdraw and, and you just want to sit there. And it's a mistake. I remember I had some, fortunately I had someone tell me, my pastor, and, and he didn't at that time understand the impact of miscarriages. And so he did a bunch of study. God bless his soul. He was reading books and stuff because he wanted to be there for Maria and I. And he said, look, don't just sit there. Serve your wife. Exercise. Go on walks together. Keep serving in the church. Don't, don't pull away. And it was a special blessing to us because we're not meant to pull it back. We're meant to press in. It's one of the best things we can do when we're grieving is to continue to serve others. It's beautiful, the relief, the peace, and the joy I found. The people in the church over, 
all my years of being a pastor who don't pull away and continue to press in. I remember one lady, she, I don't remember, she lost her husband or son. I don't, she lost a man in her life. And then and, and she's like, and she found out about somebody else who needed a meal. And she's like, I like to make a meal for him. I'm like, you need a meal yourself. And she's like, no, I'm still alive. I want to serve God. I think another thought that comes to my mind is we've got to be patient in our grief. Like grieving that does not wrap up in a day. It is not like the 30-minute sitcoms we grew up watching where a problem started and by the end of the show, everybody's smiling and the music and the credits were all right. That is not life. Sometimes it doesn't even wrap up in, in, in a week or a month or, or even a year. And, and when we attempt to move on or to get over it too quickly, we, we can prevent the natural grieving process from taking place where God is doing a work in our lives. Because sometimes our grief reveals things to us that we were blind to before. It opens up a deeper relationship with God than we've known before. And sometimes it takes us time to see that and to realize that. And sometimes pain never leaves us. God will allow pain to remain. He will allow scars to remain. Because they will serve his purpose. I rem- I, I've never fully gotten over our miscarriages Neither Maria. Even to, even to this day, some 18 years later, if a, an episode, some on the news comes on about miscarriages or babies, Maria and I, we both kind of start looking away because of the hurt and the pain is still there. But God has used that hurt and that pain to help me minister to other people, to show me his grace and his peace. We found joy and contentment through that pain. And notice what I just said there, joy. You find joy in your grief. Why? Because we sang about it. You have a hope that goes beyond any hope. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, dead, that you may not grieve as others who do not have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. There is a greater hope past our grief. You know, this is the first time right here, Genesis 23, verse 2, that we see tears in the Bible. It's the very first time. And we see tears over and over again all throughout the Bible until Revelation 21. Where God brings a new heaven and a new earth. This is what Paul is talking about in Thessalonians. We have a hope that goes beyond this life. That changes how we mourn. It changes how we grieve. At least it should. Warren Wearsby, he was, he was talking about uh, uh, someone that he, um, he knew who lost his wife in an untimely way. And he was having dinner with them. And he, and he said to him, uh, I'm sorry that you lost your wife. And he said that the man smiled at him through the pain. And he replied, son, when you know where something is, you have not lost it. Now, I know some of you You've lost people, and, and, and you don't know. You do not know 
if they knew Jesus, if they ever acknowledged Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And you wonder where they are. This is the beauty and the magnificence of the Holy Spirit that we sang about in our second song. Is because of the Holy Spirit, you never, ever, 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 never, ever, never, never, never know what conversation took place between the Holy Spirit and between that person before they breathe their last breath. You don't know. And because you don't know, no matter how many signs point in another direction, you never know what work took place, and that means there's always hope. Always. I've talked to people who had no hope that their loved one was in heaven and they would go later and they would find something where they were writing scriptures down and stuff like that. And, they, and they're like, I just don't know. There is always hope in God. Praise the Lord for that. Always. Now, because you mourn differently as a Christian, if your faith is in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you also live differently. Go back to 23, verse 4. He says, I'm a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for, buying a, for a burying place, that I may bury my dead out of sight. What's Abraham doing here? He's going to bury his wife. He's going to say goodbye. That's an important part of the grieving process. Those who mourn differently, they can say goodbye to their loved ones. Sometimes we have trouble saying goodbye. We'll have trouble getting rid of their things. I remember when my aunt died, my cousin died, my aunt who's now with Jesus now, she struggled so much with her son dying, she almost set up like a shrine to him in, in, in her house. There was a giant blanket with a picture of him and all of his stuff. It was like a shrine. It was like she couldn't let go. Now listen, I'm not, I'm not saying you don't keep things of those that you love. You know, I got pictures and stuff and people I've lost in my room and little things to help me remember them. But there comes a point where it goes from just a piece of a memory to a shrine. We have rooms blocked off for them like parents do with kids who have passed. Clothes we hold on to. Listen, they don't need those things anymore. They don't need them. They, they don't want them. And I bet if you asked them, they would tell you if they could somehow email you from heaven, they'd say, get rid of those things. I don't need them where I'm at. They're just causing you to hang on. There must come a time where we say goodbye. Now, periods of mourning are good, and they are a part of life, but they need to come to an end. Like in, in Hebrews, uh, they would mourn for 30 days. Egyptians, they would mourn for 70. And like the Egyptians, they're better mourners than you would ever be. Like they would rip their clothes. They would throw dirt on them. And, and even what they would do is if they got tired of screaming and wailing, they would literally hire professional mourners who would stand outside their home and mourn for them. So that if you walked by, you would know what was going on. Now, as, as fanatical as that sounds, when the period of their morning time was over, it all ended because it was time to move, move on. 
Now, some of us, we, we, we don't necessarily get hung up on stuff. But some of us, we can't let go because we're hung up on guilt. We feel guilty because things we did when they were alive or things we did not do when they were alive. Or maybe because we feel like we have some kind of unfinished business with them. Listen, their business is finished. Their business is finished. They have a brand new perspective on everything now. They are no longer carrying the weight that you are carrying. So set it down. There's things that you were did with you did were wrong. You and I'm sure there were because you're human. We're all sinful. Ask God for forgiveness. Are there things you should have done that you never did? Probably you're human. Ask God for forgiveness. Because at the end of the day, he is the only one that can give complete forgiveness and lift your burdens off your shoulders. He's the only one. Some say, well, what if they hurt me? Forgive them. Forgive them. God has given us this beautiful model of forgiveness in the Bible. Allowing God's forgiveness to permeate our lives based on what he did for us. As we read in Romans 5, it allows us to release all this hurt and pain from our lives. And look, they were a sinner just like me. And they hurt me just like I can hurt others. I forgive them. It's between them and God. And I know this is hard because they're gone. One of the great steps to dealing with all of this is writing a letter. And I've told you this before. I had a counselor once. He told me to write a letter. And I, thought he, I told him this. I, think, I thought this was a stupid idea. Stupid. And I sat down and I started writing the letter because he was like, just do it. And I'm just, tears are everywhere. I was a mess. But when I got done writing that letter, the peace that I felt because it was getting all of my emotions that I bottled and that I hid out. And I could never give that letter to that person. They're dead. But it didn't matter because it helped me get it out and give it to God. I said, Lord, help me set this down. Help me to let go. And then move forward. Abraham's life does not stop once he buries his wife. He go, the next chapter, he goes and he finds a bride for his son. Chapter after that, he gets remarried and he has more kids, like four or six kids. And he goes, full drive, more kids. Does this mean Abraham forgot about Sarah? No. Does this mean that he no longer cared about Sarah? No. It just means that he was moving forward in the life that God had for him. Letting go means taking all of the energy and all the emotional investment that you had in this relationship with somebody and beginning to invest it somewhere else. Why? Because you don't serve the deceased. You serve the living God. And you're breathing, which means he still has a life for you to live and a purpose for you in spreading his glory. And you cannot be focused and dedicated to that if you're stuck in the past. Now, with all my health issues, I am pretty sure that I will kick the bucket before my wife. I have no doubt whether it's naturally or she just decides to get rid of me because she's a nurse, she can do that kind of stuff. I hope and pray that when I pass, she's not crushed and defeated. Like, it, it would be nice if she sat a little bit, right? Um, hire some mourners for outside the house. But I want her to let me go so that she 
can continue on whatever assignments and path that God has for her. That she would say, God, I thank you for Jeff. Thank you for the time we had. Help me to move on what's next for me. Help me to keep my eyes on you. You know, and that's a beautiful reminder. When we grieve, it's really a message that, of thanks and gratitude that's in our heart. Because God gave us somebody so, that we loved so much that it makes us sad. That's literally a reason to say thanksgiving, to be thankful. Say, God, thank you so much that I had someone in my life that I loved enough that I'm this sad. First Thessalonians 5, give thanks in every circumstance. It doesn't mean she has to marry or she doesn't have to marry because you don't have to remarry just because Abraham did. It just means she, her life is focused on what is next until the day that God calls her home. Church, grief is a part of life because death is a part of life. And even in grief, we can have gratitude and we can bring God glory if we're willing to face it and lean on him as we walk through it, asking those for help to be our strength. And then something beautiful happens. As we come out of that grief, God will bring us opportunities to take what we have learned and experienced and to comfort and share and guide one another. And I think that that's what we mean like when we sing this song, God turns graves into gardens. He'll make our greatest pain into something beautiful as we keep our eyes on him. It doesn't mean we hide from grief or try to look away. It means we embrace it with a perspective of God's salvation and of his promises to come. Amen.